Well, in a week like this, uh, I can't control what text came up. Uh, In one sense, the thought goes across my mind, you should switch it up, but I worked so hard on the words to to get the the text that I've been preparing all week that to do a last-minute switch is just not my style. But I believe that uh, God somehow orchestrates these things to prepare messages we need to hear at the right time. And so regardless of whether this is catered towards the week that that we all have had or not, it does have a message within it that we need to hear, that Jesus is faithful. This will be a Christ-centered sermon, and so I just want to present that to you as we begin. There are are some good elements of the American dream, uh, things that we can affirm in the American dream, but I believe that most often the American dream is accompanied with individualism, narcissism, self-determination, and greed. With the increased secularization of our country, we have moved farther and farther from the good elements of the American dream. We've all been taught to some extent, either by our parents, by teachers, by coaches, or by our culture, that if you believe in yourself and work hard, you can do anything. Belief in self has become the predominant philosophy and ethos of our culture. Our kids are growing up with this uh, very deceptive philosophy, and it has even leaked into the church and our understanding of the Bible. You might know the name Jack Canfield from the successful Chicken Soup for the Soul franchise, which has sold astonishingly over 123 million books. One of Canfield's success principles is... Believe in yourself. He says this, quote, If you are going to be successful in creating the life of your dreams, you have to believe that you are capable of making it happen. You have to believe that you have the right stuff and you are able to pull it off. You have to choose to believe that you can do anything you set your mind to, anything at all, because in fact, you can End of quote. Now, that's hopeful news for a guy that has very little speed, quickness, or strength. Maybe I can make the NFL, all right? Even at 36, this could be good. If you can dream it, you can do it, Walt Disney said. For only $9.99 at ChristianBook.com, you can buy this green T-shirt with the following tagline in big letters across it. Have faith and believe in yourself. And below, in really tiny letters, is Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's not a cool t-shirt. I hope you don't have it. Joel Osteen is the pastor of the largest Protestant church in the United States. His sermons are seen by over 20 million people in over 100 countries every month. Osteen has major influence. Osteen apparently said this, I believe that God has put gifts and talents and abilities on the inside of every one of us. When you develop that and you believe in yourself and you believe that you're a person of influence and a person of purpose, I believe you can rise up out of any situation. And my question is, is that true? Paul told us, put no confidence in the flesh. 
Now, where should we put our confidence then? How about in God? Some of you might be familiar with Robert Schuller, the founder and former pastor of the Crystal Cathedral and host of the Hour of Power on television. He had a profound influence on American Christianity. One of his book titles is Believe in the God Who Believes in You. Another title is Self-Esteem, the New Reformation. And in that book, Schuller wrote this, quote, Classical theology has erred, it's made a mistake, erred in its insistence that theology be God-centered, not man-centered. Schuller wrote, quote, To be born again means that we must be changed from a negative to a positive self-image. From inferiority to self-esteem, from fear to love, from doubt to trust. There is even a book sold on Christian websites, Christian book distributors, uh, by author Daniel Grippo titled, Believe in Yourself Therapy. The predominant philosophy of our culture is, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. A philosophy that even pervades the church. Sometimes it's blatant, sometimes it's subtle. But the purpose of John, when you come to this beautiful book of John, the purpose of him writing is not believe in yourself, but it is believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. I don't mean to suggest for a moment that we should live insecure and self-defeated lives. I don't believe that. Quite the opposite, actually. But I am saying that our confidence and belief should rest solely in Jesus Christ. Now, I think you'll see three major themes in these last three verses of John 13. One, how prideful the human heart is. How prideful the human heart is. Number two, how inadequate it is to believe in yourself. And number three, how Jesus is our only hope. He's our only hope. Jesus was going through the cross back to the Father. Through the cross to the Father. Look at uh, verse 33 again. Jesus said to his disciples, where I am going, you cannot come. Where was he going? Where was he going? Why couldn't they go with him? They were, after all, his disciples, right? Now, how might children respond to their parents if their parents told them, you know, your mom and I are going to Disney World, and you can't come. <laughs> now, how's that going to fall? I mean, there's going to be some tears, folks, over that one, depending on the age of your kids. You know, maybe even a 19-year-old. <laughs> you know, I can't. There's going to be some questions, because the kids want to be with their parents, and they want to be with their parents, and they want to go to Disney World together. It's an exciting place. Well, the disciples had been following Jesus for years, and they wanted to be with him. I want to be with you. Also keep in mind verses 31 and 32. It was time for Jesus to be glorified. He was going to be glorified. He was going to receive the glory. And they can't be with him. They wanted to see that. They wanted to experience it. They wanted to be with him when he was glorified. Furthermore, the disciples were dreaming about all the glory and the prestige and the greatness that they would receive by being with 
Jesus, and you can check out Matthew 20, Mark 10, and Luke 22 on that. Where was Jesus going? Well, John has already made it clear in his book. In John 6.62, Jesus asked this question, then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? All right, so he's going back to where he was before. Where was he before? And John told us in John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In John 7, 33, Jesus told the Jews, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. John 13, 1 and 3 say Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, that Jesus had come from God and was going back to God. And if you jump ahead to John 14, 12 and verse 28, Jesus said, I am going to the Father. He addressed the same thing in chapters 16 and 20. Where was Jesus going? Back to God, his Father. But he would head right through a brutal Roman cross to get there. Why would Jesus tell his disciples they couldn't come with him? Wouldn't they make it to heaven? Wouldn't they make it back to God? Didn't they have the promise of of being united to Christ by faith and that they finally would make it? Well, look at verse 36. Peter didn't understand Jesus. He was clueless. He was curious. It says Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? He didn't pick it up where where Jesus was off to. And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Now, but you will follow afterward. Okay, so we know that Peter would follow Jesus, that Peter would would one day be with Jesus, but it, it was only a matter of timing of when that would happen. By implication, all the disciples would follow Jesus, but they would follow him later. Why couldn't Peter follow Jesus the Father at that moment? Well, first, it was Jesus' time to die, not Peter's. God had appointed another time when Peter would die. Second, no one could follow Jesus to God unless Jesus went first and opened the way to God. If anyone was to go to God, anyone at all throughout history, Jesus needed to go where no one else could go, to the cross as a vicarious sacrifice for sinners. Only Jesus could be the penal substitutionary atonement for sinners. Did your brain explode? So let's just slow down. Penal means punishment for a crime. Substitutionary means in the place of someone else. Atonement means a perfect sacrifice offered for the removal of sins as the price paid for sins and the means by which sin is forgiven and the justice of God fully satisfied. So if you put that all together, do you know what's happening? Now, if you ever need readable info where you're like, oh, I need to look up that theological term or I want to know a little bit more about theology, I recommend... Uh, to check out Theopedia.com, Theopedia.com. It's a really helpful website. And Theopedia.com defines penal substitutionary atonement like this. The doctrine that Christ died on the cross as a substitute for sinners. God imputed the guilt of our sins to Christ 
And he, in our place, bore the punishment that we deserve. This was a full payment for sins, which satisfied both the wrath and the righteousness of God so that he could forgive sinners without compromising his own holy standard. End of quote. That's good. That is good. We committed the crimes. Jesus took our place. Jesus paid it all. We received pardon. God remains just. And God remains good. That's penal substitutionary atonement in a nutshell. Only Jesus could do this if Jesus didn't become our penal substitutionary atonement on the cross. Everyone would need, please catch the weight of this, everyone would need to pay for their own sin in hell forever. It was ironic that Peter was telling Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Hmm. When in reality, it was Jesus who would lay down his life for Peter. Before Peter would die for Jesus, and he would, Jesus would die for Peter. So it is infinitely precious, infinitely precious and comforting and hopeful to us that Jesus told Peter, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But but you will follow afterward. It was because Jesus went back to the Father via, by means of the cross, that Peter and every other believer that would come after would eventually follow Jesus to the Father. It was the means by which the Old Testament saints would get to Jesus through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus told Peter, you will follow afterward. It was absolutely certain Peter would be with his king. We go through the cross to the Father by faith when we trust in what Jesus accomplished for us there. Faith unites us to Christ in his crucifixion and in his resurrection so that our sinful flesh was crucified with Him on the cross. And our new life is granted us through His resurrection. And and someday, we have the great promise of a future resurrection when Jesus Christ wraps it all up. At the cross is where the great exchange happens. Jesus becomes our sin, and we become the righteousness of God. Rich Ziegler was the righteousness of God because of what his Savior did on the cross. And because Rich trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, that is why he's the righteousness of God. Not because Rich's life was so great. Jesus made Rich great. When we applaud Rich, we applaud Jesus who was in Rich. Jesus becomes our sin. He became our sin on the cross so that we might be called the righteousness of God. God orchestrates the great exchange by His grace. All of that is implied in verses 36 through 38. Just a couple verses, but it's implied. It's the underarching theme. But Peter didn't understand all that was going on in the upper room. He was kind of like we can be, oblivious to things going on around us. He would only understand after the Holy Spirit would be given at Pentecost and bring these things back to his mind that he would comprehend what Jesus Christ has done for him. Look at verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why? 
can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter used a a different Greek word for now than Jesus did in verse 36. Peter was essentially saying, why can I not follow you right now? Like right at this moment, why can I not follow you? Peter didn't fully understand what Jesus needed to do for him first. And Peter thought that he possessed within himself the strength to stick by Jesus through thick and thin the whole way to death even. Listen to how Peter believed in himself. I will lay down my life for you. And I think Peter said that because he really loved Jesus. I do. I think the love of Christ and the love of God was in him. But I also think that intermingled with his love for Christ was a belief in himself. An ego. A self-assurance that actually contributed to his denying Christ three times. The other Gospels add more to the story. This conversation in John 13 was before uh, they left the upper room, but then the other Gospels insert uh, and record the continuing conversation after they left the upper room. And when you add it all together, you see how prideful Peter really was and how inadequate his self-belief would be. In Matthew 26, Jesus told the 11 that they would fall away because of him. He's like, you guys are going to fall away. He even quoted a prophecy that was written years before, Zechariah 13, 7, a prophecy about them falling away from Christ. It it would happen. And upon hearing Jesus apply the prophecy to Peter and the rest of them, Peter said, quote, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter believed in himself. Peter believed in himself. He believed that he could do what no one else could do. He believed he had it and none of the other ones did. He would stay strong. He believed in himself so much that he essentially called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a liar. Saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to disagree with you and I'm going to disagree with Zechariah's prophecy. And this is what he said. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's after Jesus said, you will deny me. And he said, no, 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 I won't. I am strong enough. Peter believed in himself, even when Jesus gave him a compelling reason not to believe in himself. Now, have you ever looked at a dessert sitting on your counter and you think to yourself, I am not going to eat that? And as you go through the day, you might stare at it, hi there, <laughs> you know, and, and it starts to talk to you. And soon enough, after a little bit, you're, mm, that was good. And you just ate it when you said that you wouldn't. I want to share a little bit of my heart with you, because I think that you struggle like I do in the same area, just a hunch I have. I am tempted often by terrible sins. And I have tried countless times to defeat those sins on my own and every time I lose. I lose. Now, when I believe in myself, I sin. I sin. My sinful flesh is stronger than my willpower 
to say, I'm not doing that. Mm. Oh, yes, I will. I'm weak. I'm a weak man. I can't trust myself. I have learned that. But when I trust Christ, I win. Because he is the power that helps me move ahead and to conquer that temptation and to say no and to do it with joy. Christ is the power. Have you ever been there? You identify with that? D.A. Carson nailed it. I love it when writers nail it. And, and he wrote about Peter, and I think this applies to us too. This is what he wrote. Sadly, good intentions in a secure room after good food are far less attractive in a, a darkened garden with a hostile mob. At this point in his pilgrimage, Peter's intentions and self-assessment vastly outstrip his strength. That's true in my life. Is it true of you? Carson wrote, tragically, the boast that he would never deny his Lord, even to the point of death, displays not only gross ignorance of human weakness, but a certain haughty independence that is the seed of the denial itself. That struck me. John is setting us up in his book to see the gross ignorance of human weakness. Peter's belief in himself is what D.A. Carson labels the seed of the denial itself. At the heart of unbelief, at the heart of denying Christ is belief in yourself. Individualism and pride lead to denying Christ. Folks, the point is so painfully easy this morning. Believe in Jesus Christ, not yourself. Believe in Jesus, not in yourself. Belief in self is a prevalent philosophy. It is everywhere. It will give you a headache. Have you been deceived by it? You buying into the lie? Are you confident in you or are you confident in Christ? Is your faith strong because of you or is your faith strong because of Christ? We cannot applaud our own greatness while at the same time applauding the greatness of God. We are at our best, not when we believe in ourselves. No, that's when we're at our worst. We're at our best when we believe in Christ, when we trust him as our only hope. Norman Vincent Peale, he was the founder of Guidepost. Just a, a very, very influential pastor, I believe, in the 19th, no, 20th century, 20th century. Um, very cunningly intermingled positive thinking with the Christian faith, and he brought them together. And he really paved the way for a lot of pastors, ones that have big churches now. And he wrote this, believe in yourself. Have faith in your abilities without a humble but reasonable confidence in your own powers. You cannot be successful or happy. Folks, that's not true. That's just simply not true. And it destroys people's lives. That came from one of the most influential and famous preachers in the 20th century. Now, I've mentioned Rob Bell before. Up to 2012, Bell pastored a mega church, thousands of people, that was among the fastest growing in all of America. Time Magazine put him uh, among the 100 most influential people in the world. 
In one of Bell's videos from his outrageously successful NUMA series, Bell explains Matthew 14, where Peter walked on water. Let me read for you Matthew 14, 28 through 33, so you get the context of what he's talking about. And let me come back then and show you how Bell understands the passage. And I just beg you to listen really closely. Here's the scripture. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, this is Bell's interpretation of what I just read to you. Now, I always assume that Peter doubts Jesus, but Jesus isn't sinking. Who does Peter doubt? He doubts himself. He loses faith in himself that he can actually be like his rabbi. I mean, Jesus wouldn't have called him if he didn't think he could be like him Jesus even reminds his disciples of this at one point. He says to them, wait, you didn't choose me. I chose you. The rabbi doesn't choose you unless the rabbi thinks that you can do what he does, that you can be like him. I mean, all my life I've heard people talk about believing in God, but God believes in us, in you, in me. I mean, faith in Jesus is important, but what about Jesus' faith in us. I mean, he must have faith in us because he leaves it all in the hands of these disciples and they do it. Jesus has faith that you can follow him and you can be like him. He believes it. And then Bell ends the video like this, quote, may you believe in God, but may you come to see that God believes in you. May you have faith in Jesus, but may you come to see that Jesus has faith that you can be like him. Bell very artfully takes the focus off Jesus and puts it on Peter, on human ability and belief in self. Peter began to sink, not because he doubted himself, but because he focused more on the threatening wind than on the supernatural power of Jesus to sustain and protect him in the wind. After all, it was Jesus who commanded Peter to come to him on the water. The only reason Peter believed that he could walk on the water is because Jesus made the definitive statement for him to come and to walk. Jesus controls every water molecule on planet Earth, and that's why Peter was sustained on top of the water. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, which is exactly what Rob Bell is persuading us to do. Bishop T.D. Jakes is the pastor of the Potter's House in Dallas, which has over 30,000 members at four locations. Years ago, T.D. Jakes was on the cover of Time magazine with the heading... Is this man the next Billy Graham? At a woman's conference in front of 25,000 women or so, after emphasizing belief in God, so he did emphasize that first, to be fair, T.D. Jake said the following, quote, Believing in God is not enough. 
We do good in believing in God. Some of us were raised believing in God, and if you got that part real good, the enemy comes along and tries to destroy the ability to believe in yourself. He will show you all kinds of reasons to make you think you don't have it. He is always throwing up something in your face to get you not to believe in yourself. And then Jake uh, talks about the devil's plans to, quote, destroy the ability to believe in oneself. And he then emphasized the I in Philippians 4.13, saying, let me back that up with the Bible. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's subtle, but it's there. Can you hear it? The emphasis is placed on the wrong thing. The I can do of Philippians 4.13 is possible only because of the second half of the verse, through him who strengthens me. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. The power to do is Christ. Philippians 4.13 is not about believing in yourself. That's turning the text completely on its head. Christ is the focus. When did the Christian rally cry in the great struggles of life become believe in yourself, believe that you can do it, instead of call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. That's Psalm 50, verse 11. All around us, my friends, inside and outside the church is the prevalent philosophy to believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. We are trained to do it, but Peter didn't deny Jesus three times because he failed to believe in himself. Peter did believe in himself. That was a major reason why he denied Jesus. And I want you to be honest with yourself for for a little bit. You've lived with yourself for a very long time. Amen? Yes. All right. So be honest. Can you trust yourself? Can you trust yourself? Let me answer that for me. No. Quickly. Do you consistently come through for yourself? You always steady, always nailing it, always coming through. Now, Many, many people who believe in themselves, atheists, agnostics, people from other religions who don't believe the one and true God, they have accomplished amazing, amazing things by believing in themselves. I don't discredit that. That's their philosophy, and they have done incredible stuff. Even the staunchest of atheists. How do we explain that? How do we look at that and say, well, I get you, pastor. Sounds biblical, but look at That person and what they did simply by believing in themselves and working really hard. It's a really simple explanation for Christians. God's grace. That's it. That's the answer. It's not hard. Who created everything? Who runs the universe? Who gives and takes life? Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Matthew 5.45 says, For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
Why does the atheist farmer produce a bumper crop? Because God kindly sent him the sun and sent him the rain. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Skeptics who curse God with the very breath that God kindly gives them. Sometime, spend a little, little time reading Daniel 4 and watch what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he believed in himself. Can you sense the irony of verse 38? Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Who was laying down their life for whom? Jesus would die for Peter. Jesus loved Peter. He assured Peter of his salvation in verses 10 and verse 36. But still, he told his very, very dear friend some very hard news to hear. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times, Peter. It's going to happen, and you're going to do it. You'd think that would shatter all self-confidence in Peter. But despite his self-belief, Peter did deny Christ. But not even his threefold denial, please listen to this, not even his threefold denial could stop the deluge of God's grace gushing on Peter through the cross. In time, Peter would accomplish great things for Christ. But not because he believed in himself, but because God's grace strengthened and compelled him even to the point of martyrdom. That's what God's grace can do in someone's life. Transform this mess of a man into a martyr. He would give his life, but it it wouldn't be because he somehow made it up in his mind. It would be because Jesus Christ went to the cross first, then sent his spirit to Peter and empowered Peter to do amazing things in the name of Jesus. Don't believe in yourself. Believe in Christ. And believe that he alone can and will complete the good work he began in you. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Amen? God is the strength of my heart. We are strong by trusting God. Ephesians 3, 16 talks about being strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Make your life's ambition to put your confidence solely in Christ. And trust what he can do through you, not what you can do. Do you understand the subtle difference? It's subtle, but it's profound. Did you know that Jesus said, this is Jesus now, direct quote, I can do nothing on my own. (laughs) I can do nothing on my own. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh said that. Jesus was spirit-filled, and he was unified to his Father. Our confidence should be in him only. Yes, Paul did say, I can do all things, but that is entirely dependent upon the rest of the sentence, through him or through Christ who strengthens me. The strength is Christ, and the glory goes to Christ alone when we do it. Believe in Jesus, not in yourself.
He's your only hope. We all face temptation. Just think about your life, the temptation you face every single day. When temptation comes and we indulge in that sin, at that moment, we really didn't believe, at that moment, in the promises of God. We didn't believe God. We believed in us. We believed what we wanted. We believed in our strength. We believed in our pleasure. We believed in what we wanted. But at that point where we indulged in sin, we were not believing in the promises of God. Doesn't every sin proceed from unbelief in Christ? We fight temptation and sin in our lives by trusting not in ourselves, but in the promises of God and by believing that He will He will give us what we need to stand strong and move ahead to the glory of God. The nature of saving faith is belief that we don't have the power. Like that's the first step really in becoming a Christian saying, can't do this, completely done, but I know he can, so I'm just going to go ahead and attach myself to him by faith and let him carry me and work through me. Our greatest confidence does not come through belief in ourselves. The more you believe in Jesus, the more confident you will be. That's how this works. It's it's not about believing in you. When you trust Christ, you believe in what he does in you. And you'll be confident because you'll be confident in his power being made perfect in your weakness. Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's why Paul gladly boasted in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ would rest on him. I can't do this. I am alone here. I need you. And then when you are strong, guess who gets the glory? God does, and it makes him look amazing. When you can walk through even the death of Rich Ziegler to the glory of God, pointing people to there's something else going on here. I can get through. Joyce, you can get through. Sister, press on. Because your life right now is pointing to King Jesus and his sufficiency. We see Christ in you, Joyce. Rich didn't live in vain. He's pointing us to Christ so that we can actually be glad to boast in our weaknesses saying, can't do this. This one's too hard. But not for my king. And so as I put one foot in front of the next, Jesus gets glory. And we rest on his power. God is glorified the most in us when we don't believe in ourselves, but we believe entirely in him. We must claim weakness, my friends, and complete dependence on Christ for his power to rest on us. We've got to go there. Believe in Jesus, not in yourself. And it will make all the difference in your life. It's the only way you can be rightly confident and assured. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how desperate we are right now as a church for you. We need your strength. We need your glory to be revealed through the gospel. We just want to believe in Jesus. He is so precious to us. Death is nothing for him. He conquered it already. And he promises that anyone who is united to him by faith, anyone who treasures him, everyone who finds their greatest pleasure and joy in Jesus, 
will never die, but will live in Christ. And I pray we look directly into death and say, yeah, you're scary, but my king is bigger than you, and you will be done one day. And all the sting will be gone, and all the tears will be gone. And what will radiate and what will shine will be the glory of the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus will shine. And it is in light of His great glory that we say, 